Zach, do you recognize that sound? I do, Coop. And it brings to my attention something we really need to talk about. It is. It's an important issue that our listeners need to be educated on. Our generation has no FaceTime etiquette. I could not agree more. It's something that we had. We weren't taught by our no. parents. And FaceTime they just couldn't have. They could not have prepared us for the culture we live in. So I don't blame parents. I blame our own ignorance. Yes. But that's why we're here today. Yeah. We want to present you with a new FaceTime etiquette. There's four simple rules. So to make your FaceTimes effective and worth my time. Right. You know? And enjoyable. Enjoyable. Right. Yes. Uh, let's just let's just dive in. Yeah. So I think the first tip, Zach, I know you have actually a recent story. I do. About this one. But announce your surroundings. Yes. You know, I can only see your face, which is good. Right. But I need to know who's around you before I start talking with you or even maybe send me a text. Hey, I'm about to FaceTime you. Right. Just it, talk about your experience. Well, it's not even always about what you say. It's about what's going on in the picture, too. Because yep. I recently was on a group FaceTime with you. Yeah, I was there, actually. Roommates and our unnamed roommate uh, did not announce his surroundings. Yeah. What were his surroundings? He was in the car with two girls. Yeah. So, I mean, totally, one of them, his fiance. Yeah, totally fine. Right. For him to be there. Not inappropriate for that FaceTime to still happen. No. However. But by the time that he had announced that he was, he had announced his surroundings. Well, I don't think he didn't announce it. He just passed the phone. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I was mid P. Yeah. I I mean, we'll just this. Sorry, this is not really an episode for younger listeners. We're talking about. (laughs) I mean, I was just going to the bathroom. I had muted it, (laughs) thankfully, because y'all were talking. Right. But then all of a sudden I see his fiance's face in the camera. And you just. And I was like, uh, what? And she says, hey, Zach. Hey, Cooper. And I like I couldn't say anything. No. Because there I was, was going just, to the bathroom. It, it sounded like you were pouring out a water bottle. <laughs> I know. And so I'm like, hey, you need to announce your surroundings yeah. when you enter a FaceTime call. That's rule number one. Yeah. Simple. You and I actually locked eyes because it was a group FaceTime while she was receiving the phone. Right. You and I locked eyes and you actually flashed one of the quotes we have hanging in our bathroom. And I was like, oh, I already knew where you were. So, <laughs> so just so you know, and thankfully you carried on the conversation yeah. with her while I finished up. Yeah. I can, I can just stop in the middle. But yeah, announce your surroundings. That's number one. Coops, Absolutely. What's number two? Yeah. So I think the second one is motion sickness is a real thing. Sometimes when I'm on the FaceTime with people, I feel like I'm actually on a roller coaster right or it's like a virtual reality of a roller coaster yeah people can we just please focus on our steady hand yeah i like to rest my mid forearm yeah. on the corner of a table that's great like the edge do you kind of end with a crease in your forearm yeah but that's a sacrifice you're willing to make it really is because you love the, the person. person that you're talking to exactly yeah. i don't want to just be spinning like i'm on apollo 13 right. going back into orbit right while i'm on a facetime with you yeah because that also affects the sound yep because all it is is wind or say like they're sitting in a chair and they have it resting on the chair and they move around a lot mm-hmm. all you can hear is <laughs> Yeah. Or the creaking of the chair. Exactly. Yeah. That's number two. Coop, what's number three? Yeah. Number two. Um, number three is one that you actually brought up to me as we were planning about this. Yep. And um, it's my angle. So I'm kind of just interested to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah. Angles are big. I'm a big right at the face or even a little up where the oh, camera's looking down at like you. your duck face selfie poses that you do. Oh, yeah. Similar angle. Only on the weekends. Yeah. But yeah, similar angle. Cooper, you hold it down where the camera's facing up. So all I get is a good view of your bearded chin. Yeah. I mean, I have a good one though. You do your, your jawline is your best. Feature. I mean, a lot of listeners don't know what I look like, but just imagine a great jawline, <laughs> but it's like, all I'm getting is your lower cheek and upper chin. Yeah. I honestly hold it sometimes like it doesn't drop below belly button level, but I, I've been caught probably FaceTiming at belly button level. It's pretty low. So let's go back. Number one, announce your surroundings. We need to know who you're with. Yep. Number two, we don't want to get motion sickness. And yep. three, find your angle. Yeah. That could be your angle. Yeah. Lower. It's not. It's not mine. It's not yours. And I'll, I recognize that. <laughs> yeah. Just find your angle yeah. and stick with it. Yeah, absolutely. What's number four. Too? The fourth one. Uh, and. This is one that should go without mentioning, to be honest. Yeah. But I'm staying awake through the course of the FaceTime. Yeah. This one hurts. Yeah. If you're FaceTiming someone and you look up and they're asleep, either one, it's too late and you shouldn't be FaceTiming that (laughs) late or two, you're so boring. You're a boring man. And it's happened to me. Yeah. 
And it's tough. Yeah, like multiple times. Yeah. There's a specific person that comes to your mind. Yeah, we won't name her. Of course not. No, no, but you know she is. Yeah, and and we love her. We do. So, Zach, when she falls asleep, what do you usually say to try and wake her back up? Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funnery, here with my co-host, Coop McCullough. What's up, guys? I have your microphone here at belly button level, That's and uh, right. it's good because you can't see angles on a podcast. That's right. That's why we do this. Yeah. My mom always said we had faces for radio. Yeah. And yeah. so the fact that we don't have to worry about angles, motion sickness, I know. or any of this, we have good etiquette, I think. I think it's hard to have poor audio etiquette. It really is. Don't but, cough or breathe in the mic, but keep going, Zach. Cough but. What kind of sparked this? We had a Zoom call for this one. Our guest today, we talked to him while he was in London. He's from London as well. Fascinating conversation, but we've just learned the power of modern technology of being able to Zoom call. It sounds so clear. Yeah. It was awesome. It was was amazing. This is Steve Cockrum from Giant Worldwide. We had his co-founder. His counterpart. Yeah, Jeremy Kubitschek a few weeks ago. Steve is an international speaker, author, and consultant uh, to the top-level executives. He's written a couple books and has helped develop um, the Giant brand with Jeremy. But the book that we are specifically talking about today is The Five Voices. Yeah. Did you all do Five Voices when you were at Camp Coop? Um, I did not. So The Five Voices is like a a personality exam. It's like a Myers-Briggs and Enneagram, but there's five voices. And I ask him, he'll, he'll have a more in-depth answer of yeah. why they chose voices instead of, Hey, I'm an otter or a golden receiver, you know, <laughs> or a color or a yeah. number. Like there's a lot yeah. of personality tests and like identifiers out there in the world. So it's interesting to hear voices. But right. Yeah, it's continue. fascinating why they chose voices too, is they chose voices because they didn't want to put people in a box. Yeah. You're in the box of being an otter or yeah. a golden retriever. They're saying, Everyone has a leadership voice. Some are louder than others. You just have to find yours and use it. Yeah, it's cool. It's identifying that everyone has a voice. Maybe like an otter golden retriever are very different. Right. Which is fair. People are different, but everyone has a voice. And so you can't deny that you do have some type of voice for leadership. Right. It's a fascinating conversation. It's a great book. I would encourage you to get it and read it maybe even before you listen to this podcast, but they also have a platform out called giant TV. And at the end of the episode, he actually gives us a promo code where you can get a free month of giant TV. So if you listen to the end, you'll get that promo code, check it out. It's like Netflix or Peloton for leadership. Yeah. Kind of a combo. Yeah. It's awesome. It's so cool, but he's fascinating. He's got an amazing voice. He does. It's beautiful. He's so fun. Here he is, Steve Cockrum. Well, Steve, thank you so much for being on. You're all the way in London. How's the weather over there? Well, do you know, Zach, actually today it's sunny, but that's a really? very, rare, very rare moment in okay. the, the winter we've had. So it's been, it's been even wetter than normal. So that's a terrible indictment. Well, it's always good when the sun comes out in London. So thank you for being with us on this sunny day. Uh, I want you to just to introduce yourself. How did you get to where you are? Um, where did you start out? How did you get to now in Giant? <laughs> wow, that's a great question. So I am now, Zach, I'm now 50 years old. So I've moved into a whole new vulnerability level in the coronavirus wow. epidemic. So that was two weeks ago. <laughs> Hey. Oh, um, so born, bred in a place called Exeter in Devon, which is sort of in the southwest of England. Um, grew up in a very nurturing, loving home. Um, was a teacher, high school teacher for five years, which I loved. Um, was always a always a keen sportsman. Um, I had a body in those days that allowed me to compete less so <laughs> nowadays. Golf is the no. only thing that I can now play and win without hurting myself, which is nice. And I, I have a Peloton bike as well, which Whoa. I probably should be doing more on. But um, I've done, gosh, I was a pastor, uh, not mm. particularly good one, because um, <laughs> I found later that I'll probably my personality loves people making breakthroughs, but is not necessarily the best at being there for you through the pain consistently and well when you don't want to change the world. Um, I ran a nightclub for a period of time that I've been, but more recently, probably in the last 15, 20 years, I realized I was much better as a consultant than I was at actually running the organization. Um, And then seven years ago, Jeremy and I, Jeremy Kubitschek, who I think you've had as a guest on your podcast. I have. So Jeremy and I basically sat down seven years ago now and said, hey, if we had 20 more years what would we most love to do? Who would we most love to do it with? What do we learn in our first 42, 43 years? And Giant really emerged out of that. And we've been seven years full-time at wow. really building, um, I hope, a toolkit that works for the digital world. 
And um, we, we built a brilliant toolkit. What we didn't do was we didn't build a 21st century delivery system. Right. But now in the last two years, we, we've realized that in the new world, high tech and high touch are really significant. So Giant as a platform and as a way basically of how do you do people development for everyone uh, has never been possible before. So right. we joke and say, or I, as a true pioneers, I'll share later, yeah. I'm always trying to provoke. And I say, well, that leadership development was really a scarcity response to the challenges of the late industrial age. Mm. And people look at you and go, well, what do you mean by that? I say, well, here's the thing. Once leaders became very important pieces in driving more complex, I guess, um, businesses and organizations, you didn't have enough money to invest in everyone. So most organizations decided, well, we might as well invest in the most expensive leaders, right. hoping that they will be the ones who then trickle down to the rest of the culture. Of course, that never works. And then occasionally they get frustrated and go, well, let's take this tier out on a management training program for a couple of days. But the reality was there was never possible before to actually invest in everyone at the same time in a role-specific way. So we feel we're on the cutting edge, really, of what, does people development look like? Because mm. in the flat, agile, collaborative, millennial space, Zach, as you'll know, right. everyone actually needs to play a part. It isn't anymore the, the super brain individual with a team of people who run around. The world is too complicated and the task too challenging for anyone to be able to do everything themselves. So right. teams have become a huge component of how things win. And how do you lead in a world that is digitally connected but geographically dispersed is right now an incredibly live issue because a lot of people who haven't done it before are going to be leading their teams from home for the next two, three months as we right. all go into some form of lockdown. So it's been a, nobody would have come on the journey I've come on, but it, ironically, when I'm here, it seems like the perfect journey. So I have a wife of Helen for 28 years, Amazing. three girls. Um, Izzy's 20 at college. I actually know she'll be 20 next month. Um, Megan is 15, 16 next week. And Charlie, our little American citizen, she will be nine in May. So she was wow. a very unexpected blessing in our old age when we lived um, in your wonderful country. So there's a very long introduction, Zach, but the best I can give you. No, I love it. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I want to, out of Giant, y'all, you and Jeremy wrote a book called The Five Voices. You've written mm -hmm. many books, but the one we want to hone in on and mm -hmm. talk about today is The Five Voices. Where did this concept of The Five Voices come from? <laughs> so um, I'm a Jedi master in Myers-Briggs. Okay. So I don't know where you come across Myers-Briggs, but about 17 years ago now, somebody paid for me, I think out of compassion for Helen, to go on a training course. Um, and because they were paying for it and it was in Oxford, I thought, well, I'll go. Right. And in some ways, um, I spent the next 16 years or whatever it was just mastering something that I found utterly fascinating because it made sense of me. Um, and I'm a bit of a mad scientist, so I like kind of going, well, does that work everywhere? Now, when we built Giant, we realized that everything we used because people are so busy and attention spans are so limited, in the end, we said every tool that we create or resource, an educated 13-year-old has to be able to understand it, use it, and teach their friends, or it will simply not work in the new world where people are overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. They walk out of a training room and the hurricane hits them. Right. So my daughter, Izzy, who by that stage was an educated 15-year-old, says to me, Daddy, I love the fact I'm an ENFP. I love the fact I can understand it, I can use it. I can't teach it to my friends because it's too complicated. So doesn't that violate one of Giant's foundational principles? And you kind of go, hmm, uh, let me go away and think about that, Izzy. Yeah. <laughs> and so really, Voices, Five Voices, is written in the source code of Myers-Briggs and Jungian type. But what we found was we created five archetypes using something for the geeks we'll call the function pairs, and we actually began to create a vocabulary language that educated 13-year-olds can understand you teach their friends. So Voices is really Myers-Briggs for dummies. But what we found was we were actually able to do even a greater level of depth using the five voices than we'd originally anticipated in the beginning. So that's where it came from. Um, now it's being used all over the world. Um, mm. You know, I can tell you how long ago it was. I did um, a two-day with the inauguration committee for the last president of the U.S. Um, wow. Well, so they didn't know who was going to be um, the president at the time, whether it was going to be Hillary or Don, Donald. But at the Supreme Court, I did two days, and we, we did voices with the team. And they said it wow. was the most 
harmonious time they've ever had because they finally realized why they all annoyed each other but also how they could get the best out of them so we work with governments the wow. you know schools pretty much anywhere Zach, where human beings interact or where we're right. trying to do relationships and team better voices has been um, a very i guess simple without being simplistic right. and crucially um, once you hear it a you can't get rid of it but b you can actually share it and teach with your friends without the need for expensive consultants. Right. And I mean, if you can make a, a, a <laughs> thing that is useful for me, that's helpful. And, and you did that. You did it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I want to ask why voices, why voices and not types. We know there's Myers-Briggs, there's Enneagram, there's everything's out there and there are all types. What mm -hmm. drew y'all to the voice? I think, I think kind of communication is such a key component of um, human interaction and it, I would probably say there's never been more transmission of information right now in our world um, we're we're awash with information the ability to actually though truly hear and be heard which is I guess how I define communication that is incredibly difficult and in many ways the skill is diminishing so I think what we were working on was to say everyone actually has something to say we all have a voice with a capital V but the reality is most people, so 82% of people in the average team, in the average organization on the average day, do not feel heard, valued, or truly appreciated. So when you think of, you know, the voiceless, to be voiceless is, is an incredibly um, debilitating state. And to feel unheard, unappreciated, unrecognized, and potentially even unable to bring your best, that was what we were trying to do to go, what would it be like if all of the different voices around a table, whether that's your family or your team, what if they could bring their best every day? What if, what if their contribution could be used? Wouldn't that be a great thing? So most of us understand what a voice is. We know our own voice and we like the idea um, usually of hearing ourselves and others. So that's where it came from. Right. So there's five voices. What y'all say is everyone possesses all five, just some are louder than the other. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, so we can all speak all five, just some of them are more natural for us. So usually there's there's a couple which you go, gosh, I'm really familiar with that voice, and that's really how I engage with the world. But the reality is the, the, the real growth is when you begin to be able to recognize and value and celebrate the, the voices that would be, say, four and five in your ranking. So for me, nurture and guardian. Mm. They're the ones that we will often struggle to hear, value, and appreciate. Um, and we, if we're accidental as leaders, they never feel truly included in what's going right. on because we don't really automatically see what they bring or how we create the environment for them to do that. Right. I want to talk as we break down these, before we jump into the specific types, a big like cornerstone of giant worldwide is liberation and being a mm -hmm. liberating leader. And so I want to talk about how we can liberate or how we can win with each one of these voices. But before mm -hmm. we do that, we have to define liberation in y'all's terms and y'all's lingo. <laughs> what is liberation? How do we get there? What is the a liberating leader? So, yeah, gosh, so we, we have a number of axioms, as you're undoubtedly right. So the, the, we talk about the liberating leaders call people up rather than call them out. Right. We talk primarily about that the, the very best leaders in the world learn how to calibrate high support and high challenge at the same time. And we call that the, the liberating culture where you create empowerment and opportunity because it's challenging at times for you to be in it, but you also know the level of support that's coming towards you. So it helps people go beyond what they think themselves is possible, mm. but also they know they're doing it inside a caring, supportive environment, usually where they don't fear failure. They see it as an opportunity to grow. So if you want one definition, we would say that the liberating leader has learned how to calibrate support and challenge right. in a way that actually feels empowering, liberating, challenging at times, but it always feels like I have an opportunity to be the best I could possibly be, even if I'm not sure necessarily I believe that about myself. Right. That's, that's the goal. Like, as a leader, that's where we want to get to. And if, I'd encourage anyone listening to go online and look up the support challenge matrix by giant. It, it really breaks it down. It's a visual. I wish you could see it uh, right now, but you want to be high support, high challenge and be a liberating leader. Um, so Steve, let's hop right into the vibe voices. Uh, mm -hmm. The first one, the nurturer. Let's yeah. break down the nurturer. What are they? Who are they? What do they believe? 
So nurturers, I mean, I'll give you a pen sketch, I guess, Zach, of um, nurturers are champions of people, okay. relational harmony and values. They are the most selfless, self-giving, empathetic, kind, compassionate, natural team players, incredibly loyal. Um, they just act as a relational oil inside any team or family because they're they just see the needs of others and they are incredibly adept at caring for those. They're very, very conscientious workers. So they, they study very hard and diligently They're They fear letting others down. Um, and if they, it, but they are also incredibly good at telling you how people are going to respond to any new idea or new opportunity. So, so they, they basically make relationships work. The thing that you have to watch with the nurturers are when they look in a mirror, what they see is radically different to what everyone else sees. Right. So there's no such thing as an arrogant nurturer. They always judge themselves far harsher than anyone else would ever do. And you have to keep telling them, calling them up almost every day to go, you are a consummate professional, trusted, loyal team player. We love having you in our world. You make everyone better. And you remind us every day that people are always more important than profit or driving this or winning. So that's, you know, just a, a quick pen sketch of nurture. Right. You, can, you can come back. 43% of the populations act wow. speak nurture as their first, what we would call foundational voice. So right. if you think five in order, the number one is the one that you connect with and resonate with most. 43% of people speak nurture as their first voice and six and 70% of those are women. So whenever you meet uh, a person of the fairer sex, there's a 60% chance they speak nurture as their first voice. That's, that's incredible. That, I mean, that's a huge amount of the population that we need to know how to lead. Uh, so would you say that the nurturer is their own worst critic? Uh, undoubtedly. Yeah. Okay. And then so how would we lead them with that, with knowing that? So if I'm leading a nurturer, the thing I have to understand is they're wired first for relationship, not task. So they're human beings before they're human doings. Yeah. Sadly, I'm the other way around. That actually any challenge I bring them will have to be done in the context of relationship because any challenge I bring, they will internalize and magnify. Mm. So they will take a small challenge and make it into a big thing that I'm hugely disappointed with them. So you always have to calibrate that support and challenge and constantly encourage and affirm and call up the nurturer to bring the contribution they bring. I'll often say to them, look, I know you don't necessarily want to say something for fear that it might be wrong or that someone's going to shoot it down, but you nurture represent 43% of people. Mm. And if you don't, if we don't hear your voice and your contribution, your insights, your perspective on this issue or problem, then actually we're going to miss out on nearly half the population's perspective. So you can kind of manipulate nurturers a little bit because if you right. make them feel guilty that they're letting their side down or not letting the team have all they need, but actually in the end, they run on encouragement mm. and they run on a sense that they feel connected, part of the team, valued, appreciated and loved for who they are as much as what they do. But you can keep affirming their competence as well because they hate to boast. Right. So they struggle to boast. If you, it's why they very rarely, Zach, get promoted. Mm. So I'm a great believer that once you know you have nurturers in your world and you know they're really talented, they often need sponsors who will keep sponsoring their career advancement because nurturers are not naturally competitive. So they're very rarely you're going to pit themselves saying, I think I'm better than you for this job. Mm. So if you're not careful, you end up with less nurturers the further up the organizational system you go. And I'm a great believer that without a nurturer voice, every team, every organization really doesn't get to fulfill anything like its true potential. Right. I love how you said you call them the relational oil. Mm. I think if you don't have that relational oil in a team, your team, the engine is not going to run. So as a leader, how do we unlock the relational oil? How do we unlock the power of a nurturer? Mm. I, I think, I think the thing is the reason why voices is so powerful is that you're able to do all five in workshops or online together as a team. And the ahas are always when people realize, Oh my goodness, so-and-so is a nurturer or that's so different to the, the way I engage with the world. The key is learning to celebrate diversity and difference. 
So the moment the kind of hard-driving, maybe more pioneer characters realize, they've got a much better chance of winning if the nurturers are truly empowered, released, and heard. All of a sudden, we begin to celebrate what they bring and know that the team has a responsibility to create a safe place for the nurturer to share. So we often say in rules of engagement in our team meetings, nurturers go first because a nurturer will often find it hard to put their opinion on the table if it disagrees with or challenges the opinion that someone else has already put down there. So relational harmony is a big driver. And we always say as well as we will be very careful how we critique the idea, particularly, as you say, let it go all the way around, let everyone else have a share before we come back to the nurturer. Because if you shoot a nurturer down, they, as I said, they internalize and magnify the challenge. They always assume it's them that's wrong. And therefore, they, they become quiet. And quiet for a nurturer doesn't mean they agree with you or it doesn't mean they don't have anything to say. It just means either they're frightened to share it or they don't think you're going to listen, neither of which is a particularly good outcome for team or family in my case, having been married to one for 28 years. I thought silence was agreement. It turns out that wasn't the case. And there's a reason nurture went first. It's the quietest voice uh, mm. on, the, on the spectrum. So second, the second quietest voice is the guardian. Who are creative. the guardians? The creative. Creative number two. Creative number two. Okay, so then let's so, go yeah. creative. Unlock the creative. So creative is, is only 9% of the population, so they're much rarer, which they quite like. Cre- creatives are the future-orientated voice, the most future-orientated. They're always stood on tiptoes looking out into the future, scanning the horizon for new trends and ideas and technology. They are the big-picture conceptual thinkers who actually see things that don't exist yet. And they're also this incredible ability to see what's coming before everyone else notices it. So I always say that creatives are a bit like the early warning radar system. They will alert you to opportunity and danger ahead of any of the other voices. And in the new world where, where we're heading, we've never been before. Right. You know, there, are no, there are no maps of history of the digital world. The creative is one of the most valuable voices because the creative loves living on the frontier of the future and they're able to imagine how things could be different when many other voices usually innovate from what is already here. The creative sees and has an ability to see from left field. And sometimes people go like, where's that come from? Right. But they, they really are the antidote to groupthink because if they feel safe and they're encouraged to think outside the box, they will often describe something and everyone goes like, have you been, we've been having the same conversation because they see outside. Now they're not always great at the details act, Mm. but they are internal perfectionists. They're idealists. They're, they're visionaries. They're dreamers, a creative without a vision of the future that they're trying to give their life for usually ends up being like a firework with nowhere to go. Right. So creatives live for vision and they live for causes that are bigger than themselves that they feel they can be part of making a change for good in our world. Um, one of their challenges will be, Zach, is most creatives struggle with external communication. Mm. They What they say first bears usually very little resemblance to what they're really trying to say, which if you judge a creative on what they say first and just hold them to it, you'll always miss them and you'll always discourage them we always say that as a team when the creative speaks they have something to say creatives don't speak unless they've got someone to say so when they start all the team or you as a leader know ah they're trying to communicate something it may take two or three clarifying questions to pull until in the end the gold comes out and you go wow that's incredible why didn't you say that first time and the creative goes but i thought i did so the creative really has the, the need for team and sensitive leaders around them probably as much as any other voice because without that, they live in this almost perspex tube, hammering on it, trying to go, guys, I know what's going to happen. I, I can see with the danger. And if they're not careful, no one hears them. I can only imagine how frustrating that will be. But I love creatives in the sense that, you know, you can always just ask them, hey, what, what do you see coming? What, what are you exploring right now? What's new in your world? What's the innovation? What's the technology? What's the idea? What, what do you see coming? Right. And, you know, as a, as a leader, I'll often say to my creatives, guys, I want to have coffee with you 
for half an hour next week. And all I want you to do is come and tell me, as kind of the founder, owner, I go, what opportunities do you see that we're going to miss if I don't listen to you? And what is the danger that I don't see yet, which is going to impact our ability to fulfill the vision? Those two questions, they would probably think you they died and gone to heaven if you <laughs> asked them those questions. They ask a nurture of those questions. It puts pressure on them, and then they feel they're going to let you down and they won't sleep. Right. For a creative, those questions are like, wow, you, you understand my, my gift, my superpower. It's almost like going, I do that for fun. I can't wait to share it with you. Right. That's amazing. So I feel I've worked with a couple of creatives and they're such fun people. They have crazy cool ideas and <laughs> they dream big, um, but they've got millions of ideas in their head and it's hard to get them out of their mouth. It's not, if I'm working with a creative, if I'm leading a creative, how do I get the ideas to transfer from their mind to mm -hmm. their communication? So you have to help them, Zach. So as I said, when they're speaking, they've got something to say, right. but what they say first won't be what they mean. So don't judge them on what they say first. Use what we call the rules of engagement again, which is to pull and to clarify because eventually you get to gold and everyone goes, oh my goodness, that's it. So I think sensitivity, it's not they're deliberately being poor at communication. It's usually they've got so many ideas, so many concepts, so many different strands that are whizzing around their brain with a level of depth that is beyond most of us that when they start talking out loud, they often end up trying to describe multiple things at the same time, none of which make complete sense to the people who haven't followed the jumbled thread of ideas that have been going around in their brain. So I think it's just we make it humorous. Mm -hmm. We almost go, hey, I've no idea what you're talking about, but... <laughs> But we're with you and we know you're speaking, so therefore there must be something good. Once a kind of creative realizes the team or the leader will help them get their ideas out, they relax. The more pressure you put them under, the worse it gets. Right. And then does that free them up for more creative ideas and more productivity? Absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing I'd say about creatives is they have to know it's okay to be wrong sometimes. Mm. So if, if, you, if you punish a creative for being wrong, they become more conservative and tell you what they think you want to hear. Whereas if I say to them, I go, hey, guys, we've got lots of people to do due diligence. I want you to be out in the future thinking about it, innovate, come up with a crazy idea that might be a game changer. And if it's not going to work, you don't need to worry about that. But don't feel we're going to judge you because you were wrong once or what you said would happen didn't happen. Mm. That, that's another way that I think that sometimes that support of going dream big, dream outside the box. We're not expecting you to be right every time. Right. But when you are right, it can be a game changer for us. Right. You also mentioned that they're not great with details. So they're big picture, but they're not great with details. Does this kind of look like them having a great idea, but the follow, the follow through doesn't always come around? It could be. I mean, I think the thing is, when I say they're not good at details, that would be, say, Guardian would be their fifth voice. So they can do it, but it's always a learned behavior. It's always a conscious competence. It's always draining. And so therefore, actually, they can only do it for so long before they start to get worn out by the process. So I would say everyone can do everything. So right. somebody's saying, I'm not good with details. That's why I'm incompetent or I can't organize anything. I go, no, no, that's usually being lazy. Right. That's not, and basically not uh, disciplining the areas of your life you find difficult. So, but is it in what we would call their 70% versus the 30% in our language? It's definitely something that would be in the place where it's hard work for them. It's conscious and therefore it's draining. Right. I love that. I love that. Um, how do we challenge them in that? And it, it could, it could even be what you just said, but how do we challenge the creative? Um, they challenge themselves pretty hard, Zach. I mean, I think, so most of it is support and challenge. So it's helping them understand that basically that they have a responsibility to discipline their communication. Right. So I always say to creators, the absence of structure is not freedom, it's chaos. Mm. So if you don't do the work to prepare the structure of your talk or your work, or whatever it might be, you can have freedom inside it. But if you just start with a blank piece of paper or just start talking, I promise you, you will undermine your influence because no one's got a clue where you're going, how you got there, or how you get back. Mm -hmm. So the absence of structure is the friend of the creative, okay. even if they struggle sometimes to believe that. Mm, that's good. Uh, creatives are such powerful tools, and we have to create structure to really just point them in the direction that's going to be best for the team. Um, next up, Guardian. We're going okay. back to it. I missed it. That's all right. Don't worry. Forgive me. So Guardian, Guardian, you will hear. Guardians are the champions of what we call truth. 
So guardians are truth seekers. They, they really want to get to the details that lie behind what's being said. Um, and so therefore, they're very good at asking questions. I mean, forensic questions at times that go right to the heart of the matter. But guardians ask good questions because they want to understand, is this safe? Has it been thought through? Has it been well planned? Because a guardian is a natural steward of resources. So for them, stewarding money is really stewarding time, which is really caring for people. So they're always asking, have we thought this through? What if it doesn't work the way we hoped it would? Do we have a fallback? Can we run a pilot? How do we do our due diligence? How do we make sure that we don't squander what's already been gained in the pursuit of the new? So it's not they don't like vision. They really like vision. What they're doing is all the time saying, before we commit to it all in, can we get the data that gives me confidence as a guardian that we really are being good stewards of time, people, and resources as we move towards the future. So that's some of the things that kind of guardians are known for. And they also build incredible systems, processes, ways of operating. So guardians bring order, they bring discipline, they bring systems, they bring structures. They basically make things run on rails. So they don't usually see what doesn't exist yet. Right. But once you've actually established something, Guardians make them so much more efficient, so much more streamlined. Process is their way of caring for people. So would you say the guardian and a creative together is pretty powerful and they really balance each other out well? (laughs) When they understand, Zach, what each other brings at their best, then they create incredible synergy. Without a tool like the five voices, they wind each other up totally. Hmm. Because a creative saying, trust me, you know, I can see the future. Yeah, right. And the guardian is going, well, you might be see the future, but I don't see how this touches my present. And I'm not coming. There's no amount of bullying a guardian will make them start a journey towards the future where they can't see the stepping stones. Huh, interesting. So they're truth seekers. They're good question askers. As a leader, how do I liberate? How do I support? How do I challenge a guardian? So one would be is guardians usually want you to check in with them little and often. Hmm. So they actually want to make sure what they're building is correct. You have to allow them to ask far more questions when you're setting the project up in the beginning. So because in the end, they always want more details than I want to give them. Hmm. So eventually when I go, do you have everything you need, Guardian? They go, Steve, I know what you want. I know what the success looks like. I know what my resources are. Leave it with me. This is done. Well, that's my favorite words in the world, but I've learned, you have to give them time to ask the questions, even if it feels a bit annoying and a bit like an interrogation. Because once they have the details, for a guardian to say they take on a project, it's now a personal commitment of their honor. They would rather do anything than fail to deliver what they've committed to you. But if you don't let them house their questions, they don't feel responsible for the project because they're not going to start unless they understand exactly what success looks like and what's expected of them. So they, a big question they ask is, is this safe? So mm. naturally they're not risk takers. They're not going to be the first one on the, the front line. So how do we pull this out of them? So what I would say is that what they are is if you, a lot of mistakes people make, Zach, are they try to distance the guardians from the visioning process because they don't think they'll find it exciting or they're always pouring cold water on it. And then they bring it to them when it's nearly finished. Mm. And then when the guardians kind of critiquing it, it feels very negative. I would say to the most mature leaders, bring guardians into the very beginning of the visioning process. Let them ask their questions when it's still before the cement is set. (laughs) Once the cement is set, it's really hard to change it. And that's what frustrates guardians most is when people ask their opinions when really all they're asking for is their blessing. And they actually ask them when they know there's no real chance of it changing, even though they know this is not going to work the way it's supposed to. That really annoys guardians. So if you're a leader and you go, and you go, guys, I, I would say to guardians, I think your role is the hardest role to play in team because you actually have to be the one who's asking the difficult questions, who's holding back the visionary. You always feel like you're pouring cold water on the ideas. What I do is I say, we have to call them up and go, guardian, please do your work. If you don't do your work well, if we don't help you do that, we are being arrogant in the extreme because we're actually going to launch and commit time, people, and money when we haven't done our due diligence well because the guardian was silenced in the process. 
So a lot of times, based off what you just said, uh, in an organization, in a team, does the guardian feel like the bad guy? Yes. Feel like it, so how do we take that away from them? How do we get that label off of them? Celebrate what they bring and make sure everyone in the team understands the superpower of a guardian. Mm. And what I'm doing is I've done this. is go. I'm trying to sell to everybody. If you don't have the guardian voice in your team, you will never fulfill your potential and you will right. probably squander all kinds of resources and ultimately hurt people and miss the opportunities that were there all because you didn't actually take the time in the beginning. Cause it's all about time. Guardians will always slow things down to make it safe. Some of those other more entrepreneurial pioneering voices usually want to get to the future yesterday. Right. And so therefore they see the guardian is slowing down the genius of their idea. Whereas actually the guardian is making sure that if we do it, we do it well. What what I love about this whole system, it's amazing. We've only gone through three, nurture, creative, and guardian, but they all play specific roles that are so needed in the team. And, and if you have a team all of creatives, you're not going to get anywhere. If you have a team of all guardians, no one's idea is going to get through. So I love this system. How do these three kind of play together? Because it, as you said, it's 82% of the population. This is a majority. How do these three play together? It's a good question. I mean, I think I think... Once they understand what each one brings, they are able to create environments to play. So the guardians and the nurturers usually connect because they both feel like they're really pulling people to the present. Right. The creative is often the one they struggle with without tools and without translation. So I would say most leaders assume that everyone is like them really when they start. Well, if I lead you the way I'd like to be led, things should go okay. Mm. And then, of course, they come across a room where you, you realize there are people for whom what you are, you know, absolutely the way you engage with the world, for somebody else, that's their fifth voice. And it's like, oh, my goodness. So I think it's learning to celebrate each component individual. But in some ways, you don't have many arrogant voices so far. Right. They're usually collaborative. They're usually team. The, com the communication may be an issue for a creative. But the others are wired to want to collaborate well. And they're not necessarily pushing themselves forward to want to be the leaders in the way that perhaps our final two voices often right. gravitate towards that reality. Yeah, these three voices are so important. We have to learn to unlock them well for the team to run smoothly. Second to last, the connector. Who are they? Yep. How do we unlock them? What do they do? This is me. I'm a connector, just so you know. Uh, I, I might have guessed. So, so be so, careful. <laughs> no, yeah. So connectors are... I mean, I always say they're like the tiggers of the five voices world. It's very hard to keep a connector down for long because they're, they're larger than life characters. They are very, very positive, hugely optimistic. Their glass is always half full. And it's always fun to be around a connector because they're always engaging with the world in fun, innovative ways. They're, they're great collaborators. And what they love doing most is they spend most of their life finding great people, great products, great opportunities, and then what they do is they, they take huge delight in connecting the people, the opportunities, the project, the product, even people to people, because at their heart, connectors want to see people fulfill their potential, mm. and they'll do everything they can to help people be the best they can be and connect them to the opportunities and the people that they think are going to be most life-giving for them. So everyone loves a connector because they're always trying to help others and they're always trying to be at the center of what's going on. And they've usually got great stories to tell. So if you ask a connector, what are you excited about right now? And you actually take the time to listen. That's probably their love language right. because a connector who's healthy will be excited about something. It may be whatever they've encountered that day, but they believe in it and they're very, very persuasive communicators. Yeah. And they always have a way of finding a way to the heart of a person before they go to their head and their wallet. So very charismatic, right. calls-driven communicators, giving their life for something bigger than themselves is usually part of their kind of DNA. And the ability to inspire and move and in many ways help people believe the same things they do. So they're great communicators they're very good at marketing. They're very good at connecting. They're very good at nuancing messaging. And I always say the connector exists at their best at the interface between the organization and the client base. So if you put them inside the organization and make them run it 365, 24-7, you'll usually kill them or they'll kill everyone else. They're at their best when they have the freedom 
be able to go to the marketplace to the potential clients, the people they're trying to reach, to understand their real needs. And then when they've got a product or an opportunity, their ability to translate and their ability to communicate, connect, and message is incredibly powerful. So I always say with connectors, though, they love people and they love to be loved. So um, they, they struggle sometimes to bring challenge themselves for fear of upsetting people. Uh, they're very good at hinting, though, Zach, usually. They have advanced PhDs in hinting yep. and then blaming other people when they haven't responded to their hints that no one really heard. And they have this potential to effectively not separate them and their idea so when a connector brings their idea to the table or the team, it's not like, hey, here's an idea, what do you think? It's here's an idea that actually represents me. I wouldn't be bringing this if it wasn't what you all need. Right. So to challenge what a connector brings is usually quite difficult because they become defensive quite quickly. And they're very, very good, very good at making you feel bad. <laughs> right. Because their defensiveness is a switch and they bring it back to be about you. Um, so I love them, but they just got to be a bit careful of that one. <laughs> right. I love the, the line you said, not separate them and their idea. So I'm going to speak both from the connector, being a connector and leading a connector as a connector. How do we bring an idea and separate it from ourselves? And then if you're leading a connector, how do you not just absolutely squash their idea? <laughs> so, so basically we have, again, you, you've asked the rules of engagement. So what we right. say to connectors are guys, when you have something to bring, sell it for all your worth. Don't hold back. If you believe something passionately enough to want to share it with us and the team, make us cry, do whatever you need to do. Tell us, don't hold back, but recognize that actually just because we challenge the idea is not us being mean to you. We're doing the due diligence on behalf of the team before we commit time, money, and investment, because mm. no one has a hotline to God. So no one has basically an inerrant, infallible way of knowing what the future is. Right. So we, we don't, just because we challenge and kick the tires of your idea doesn't mean that we don't love you. It's just we're trying to make sure we allow voices like the Guardians to really ask, is this going to work now? Sometimes it might be, this is a brilliant idea connector, but we're going to come back to this in six months. Right. The job of the connector is to realize it's not as personal as it feels and not to go off in a sulk and become a bit passive aggressive because their idea got rejected. Yeah. I think passive aggression is a real killer of great teams. So how do we fight against it? How do we not allow a creative to slide into passive aggression <laughs> tendencies? I think again, it's when they, when you know the tendencies of each voice, you can watch them. And if you're the leader, you can call them up and go, Hey, look, we're about to challenge your idea, Zach. Mm. But here's the thing. Don't get passive aggressive. Don't feel it as personal. We love you. This is us trying to work out how do we make a good idea great. Mm. And you know as a collaborator that the idea will always be better when we've had all of the voices bring their contribution. So you may have started the process for us, but we're not assuming that necessarily what you bring is a perfect answer, are we? And the answer is the connection. No, no, no. I want you to collaborate. You go, well, just recognize that sometimes that may feel more personal than it actually is. So almost a forewarned is forearmed, hmm. and you actually get good as a team and a family right. of knowing what each voice brings, knowing what the tendencies are, and effectively then they can laugh at themselves because they go, oh, my goodness, I'm about to do it again, aren't I? I'm about yeah. to become defensive. I'm about to exaggerate. I'm about, you know, whatever it might be. We all have these inherent weaknesses in the way we're wired hopefully what giants done and voices helps enormously is to show people in advance what their tendencies are mm. tendencies sadly Zach, don't change right but we can choose our actions and that's the difference between someone who's a good leader on the whole and someone who's a great leader in my opinion it's the ability to choose their actions even when it's not the way their default personality would respond Mm, that's really interesting. So how do we liberate the superpowers of the connector, the connecting great people to other people, connecting ideas to people? How as a leader do we completely liberate the superpowers of a connector? Um, I, think, I think give them opportunities to actually go and carry the ball. Um, um, allow them in many ways to share their ideas. Connectors will usually need to speak for longer than other people would like them to. Um, I think the other thing, Zach, is recognize 
and acknowledge what they bring. Because most connectors, when they're healthy, don't really differentiate work, rest, and play. If they're passionate about something and they're in the bar watching football, they'll still be talking about what the work is if they think it's going to help the person they're with. So sometimes just celebrating the contribution they bring, publicly honoring who they are. And if they do make a great connection or introduction, you know, making sure you thank them for those things. Because most, most connectors run on encouragement. And the more you encourage them and the more they believe that you believe in them, the greater the contribution they feel able to bring to the team. So when there's a relational breakdown or a trust breakdown between a connector and their leader, it's almost impossible for a connector to function. Right. Because they, they need to feel aligned, loved, team, collaborative. And in some senses, they dislike anything which feels like politics or manipulation or whatever it might be. It's that almost that purest desire for open communication and really let me be me mm-hmm. and use my connections, use my knowledge, use my expertise because if the connector believes in you and trusts you as a leader, their resource right now, it, it's, it's an amazing thing to have a connector with their Rolodex or their contact list at your disposal. Right. They're, they're also amazing. And I, I know from experience, as you know, but uh, moving on to the last voice, the pioneer, last but yep. certainly not least, who are the yep. pioneers? How do we liberate the pioneers? So pioneers, only 7% of the population speak pioneer as their first voice. And the pioneers are the champions really of winning. I would say that, <laughs> that basically pioneers love to win and they love to win as individuals and as teams. And they're very, very strategic. Um, they love complex, almost military chess type challenges that allows them to demonstrate their competence. Um, and they love almost the, the, the alignment of people, systems and resources on complex battle maps to achieve ultimate victory so pioneers are are very good visionaries they're very strong communicators they're, they're much more rational and logical than the connector so that it almost they dare you to disagree with the genius and the rationality of what they put forward which is often a weakness rather than threat but they have uh, people when you have a healthy pioneer uh, a lot of the team draw huge strength and confidence from their belief that even if they're a bit worn out and exhausted the pioneer is still in then we, you know, they have a way of going, come on, Zach, we can do this. Right. We're not giving up yet. You know, they, most of them have that Theodore Roosevelt quote somewhere which says, you know, I would rather be in the arena, you know, with the gram and I'd rather, I'd rather die by faring great, right. um, by greatly than be counted among those cold, timid souls that know neither victory nor defeat. So, right. so pioneers want to give themselves for a vision of the future that's big enough to get them up every day mm-hmm. because if pioneers are wired for work. Teaching a pioneer to work is not difficult. Right. Teaching a pioneer to rest and to take time to be with people and to smell the roses every day, that is a challenge because their brain is always on conquest, vision. How do we get from where we are to where we want to be? So, so how do we challenge a, uh, a pioneer to rest? How do we slow them down? How do we create? I mean, make them healthy by resting because we need rest. You have to have it. So if you've got a pioneer who you're leading, um, I would say the best way of doing it is usually through indirect effort and letting them find the answer themselves. So it, or asking questions which manipulate them. Because if you say to a pioneer, if you were a pioneer, Zach, I might say, hey, Zach, I just want you to know, I think you're awesome. You've done an incredible job. And what you delivered in that team, I don't think anyone could have done. Here's my next question to you, Zach. Um, do you want to fulfill all the potential you have as the leader? I mean, to a pioneer, that's like crack cocaine. It's like, oh, yeah, how do I feel from it? <laughs> and then you go, well, um, well, I'm probably going to have to bring some challenge on certain things, but I don't want to do it unless you want me to. Right. Because in the end, it's only if you choose to make a breakthrough does it usually happen. So if you don't want to do it and you don't want me to help you grow and challenge you, I won't. But if you give me permission, then you've got to promise me that you'll engage with my challenge without shooting me. Right. And most pioneers are like, yeah, just give it to me, Steve. And I go, well, um, here's the thing. If you leaders define culture, pioneer, and the stronger the leader, the stronger the culture they define, all of your team are going to burn out and die because you don't take any time off. Right. And if you don't, they don't feel they have permission to do it. Hmm. So, if you understand, Pioneer, the impact your voice has 
and the force of your personality in any room. That's the growth of self-awareness you need. So if you believe that you want people to have a healthy work-life rhythm, you're going to have to model it, not just talk about it. Mm. So Gears, for example, another one of the books we wrote, Jeremy and I, um, is really written for how do you help people understand that, that work is brilliant, but there are other ways of engaging with people that will help you be truly present. So my challenge to pioneers is often to go, hey, guys, how do you learn how to be physically, emotionally, and intellectually present at the same time in a room with someone? Mm. Because you can be physically present, but your brain is still trying to solve the complex problem that right. you've been working on all week. So that's always one of those growth opportunities for pioneers. How do you learn to connect with people? Mm. Not in a way that is purely means you're a, you're a piece on my chessboard, but because I care about you being the best you can be. Now, pioneers usually want to know what's in it for me, what's the win. Voices for pioneers is a way in which they can suddenly go, oh my goodness, if I create an environment where all my people bring their best every day, what would happen to the performance of my team? <laughs> so that's the way in. It's usually through performance, it's competence, it's helping them win, and usually giving them, Zach, in many ways, projects that show you trust them to do something really important, mm. that you'll make your resources available to them, but not micromanage them. Pioneers hate right. to be micromanaged because it sounds and feels like you think they're incompetent. Give them a challenge, define the challenge, give them the resources, let them check in often, let them know you're for them and you'll do anything to help them win. Pioneers in that environment where they feel that liberation from you as a leader really have, a, have the opportunity pretty much to do things that you wouldn't even believe possible. Right. Talk about the weapon system of a pioneer. If, if someone <laughs> yeah. brings yeah. an idea to the table in a team meeting, the pioneer doesn't necessarily agree, they shoot it down, what happens there? So, yeah, I mean, weapon systems are a whole other chapter right. of the book, but the, the pioneer carries a grenade launcher and Kevlar body armor into any engagement with another human being. They don't know they do. And what we mean by that is if someone um, challenges the genius of their idea or somebody's wasting their time or, you know, appearing not to take it as serious as they are, it's very easy for the pioneer to go, and they launch a shoulder launch grenade, which basically destroys the other person and shuts down team com communication and relationships right. for the next few weeks. Because pioneers have to be so careful, the power of their voice, not so much always the noise, but the force with which they bring an opinion to the table. If a pioneer goes first, here's my idea, best idea wins, they will probably hear no one else's idea apart from the Guardian critique. Right. I always say pioneers go last. You'll only realize as a pioneer how infrequently you've ever been last in a team meeting when it comes to contributions, when you use the rules of engagement, but fundamentally you go, I'm going to listen to every other view first mm. because what I know as a pioneer, if I put my view in too early, it shuts down rather than opens up the possibilities. And interestingly, nobody minds a pioneer making a final decision. Right. They actually quite like the fact that someone's prepared to take that responsibility, right. but they, they think it's much safer and they really enjoy an environment where actually they know their voice is heard and where there is real psychological safety, i.e. if I disagree with the pioneer, and that's a good test for you pioneers, if someone's able to disagree with your idea and you don't blow them up, that really is a level of maturity, which um, was beyond me for many years of my early life, Zach, that's for sure. All right. So what I'm hearing you say about the pioneer is to liberate them, to fully free them, to use their superpower. It's to make sure they know that they're competent and, yeah. and to encourage them in that way. Is that, would that be a correct uh, assumption? Yeah. I'm just uh, telling Jeremy that I'm going to be with him in a minute. Okay. Sounds <laughs> forgive good. me. We'll wrap up soon. Uh, no, it's fine. Ask me that one again, Zach. You may have to edit yeah, it. Forgive me. That was my poor listening, by the way. Just so you know. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Uh, what I'm hearing you say is that the way to truly liberate a pioneer is through making sure they know they're competent and, yeah. and, and freeing them in that. Would that be the case? Yeah. I mean, one of the things you can do even with a young pioneer is to say, hey, I'm going to have coffee with you once a month. And I want you to, if you were going to be a consultant to me as the CEO, what am I missing or what opportunity is not there? So how would you, if you were in my role, what would you be doing better than I am right now? Now, I mean, again, you say that to the nurturer, they'll have a heart attack. Right. But to a pioneer, you've actually told them you value their opinion and you've given them permission to do the thing they love most, mm. which is to be consultants. Right.
if I was leading it, this is what I would do. Now they're already thinking that, just so you know. Right. But fun, and they usually assume they'd be doing it better than you're doing it already. But if you invite them into that process, you'll find that you often get insights and wisdom and a level of loyalty and commitment, which is way beyond what you would get normally. Because the pioneer who feels truly heard, valued, and appreciated by their leader will run through brick walls for them. Mm. That's what they love to do. Yeah, that's amazing. All of these voices represent something really crazy cool in, a, in an organization, and they all weave together so well. Mm-hmm. Now, for the, for the person who's listening and has heard this for the first time, and it's kind of an eye-opening, wow, this is so real. What do I do with the information I have now? How do I apply it? Obviously, yeah. go get the book, read the book. Yeah. How do I apply this to my team? Well, if you go to five voices, number five, and then voices.com, you can take the free assessment and your whole team can do it. Right. And there's also basically a, an amazing platform. The giant platform has untold amounts of resources um, and whole series where you can hear a lot more on voices. There's even a coaching series for each one. So if you use this link, you get a free month. Uh, this oh. is just a gift for me. So giant.tv backslash BB. Okay. giant.tv backslash bb which will you have to set up an account sorry about that but you basically get a free month and for you millennials that's long enough for you to video all my videos right. and decide whether it was worth paying for it so um but you can take the voices assessment on the platform mm-hmm. and it will recommend a coaching series for you which basically says for you zach you can go to the connected creative pioneer there are 16 personalized videos to change your life but mm-hmm. so that's where you want to go um, giant.tv backslash BB and you get a free month. Or if you just want to take the assessment, go to fivevoices.com. Steve, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it more than you know. Pleasure, my friend. Lovely to chat to you. Absolutely. Bye-bye.